Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I'm excited to welcome to the show for the first time, Katie Kimball. Katie is the founder of Kids in the Kitchen. She loves talking about nutrition for kids. We have a long time been affiliated through Raise Them Well and our efforts to help kids stay, get and stay healthy there as well. And so I am going to let Katie further introduce herself as we dive into a really fun and relevant topic for parents today. Thank you, Emily. It's so fun to be here. And I do love, I just love connecting with brands, you know, with whom we, I have been connected for so long. Like I've interviewed your husband and I, I don't even know how many years we've shared Raisin Well products um, at Kitchen Stewardship. So I'm, I'm a mom of four. And I think like many, like my conversion to real food and natural living began with my pregnancy, you know, and just that care and concern for this tiny little life. Every bite matters so much more, right? So for me, that was when I shifted. And then when my second was born, um, I quit working. I was an elementary teacher and really I was only working six hours a week with, with my first and then quit completely And the bottom line did not look so good. <laughs> So I thought I need to make some money. And I, my teacher brain was always going with the new things that I had been learning in the three years of being a mom and trying to feed my child healthy and, and avoid toxins and stuff. And so this idea for kitchen stewardship was mulling in my head. Like how, how can we be good stewards of the gifts God's given us, you know, particularly when it comes kind of connected to the kitchen. And so your time and your budget and your family's health. And it, it often seems like those were so competing right? And so stressful, like in order to feed your family, well, you have to spend more money and spend more time, etc. So that's yeah. where the idea for kitchen stewardship grew was in my head at the cutting board, you know, late at night, trying to keep up with all the tasks I was trying to do. And so I began teaching families, mostly moms, some dads online, how to stay healthy without going crazy. And then yeah. out of that, that's where kids cook real food grew because I realized you know, one of, I think one of our deficits in general as a generation is that most of us weren't taught to cook and it makes it exceptionally difficult then to be healthy, to take those healthy steps as an adult. And so like we think about root cause, right. In functional medicine right. back to the root is we got to make sure our young generation is cooking and that's difficult and hard and scary for parents. And so I thought if I can be that person to make it easier, that's how kids cook real food was born. Yeah, it's such an awesome story. And I love how, um, you know, we love telling stories here at Healthy Discourse, as I told you. And I think it's interesting how it we can take our own learning experiences and realize we're not the only ones that have struggled or are trying to grow in a certain area. And sometimes we can grow as we teach, right? And I'm curious, I have my thoughts and I'll share those, but I'm curious, why do you think that our generation, and we'll call that, you know, parents of kids growing up right now that are between zero and 18 have not, did not learn those skills as kids. Like, what are your thoughts? I have my own thoughts. I'd love to hear yours. Oh my gosh. I'm so curious to hear yours as well. I would, I would put a few things in that bucket. Uh, one would be just convenience food and processed food and food marketing, right? Like that just, it, you know, I grew up in the eighties. And so I would say children of the eighties and nineties ish is kind of who we're talking about. And uh, it was just so easy, just so easy to do convenience food and processed food and, and so cheap now. And, and then kid food, kid food marketing really started in the eighties. I think that the happy meal 
was launched in 1979, just mm-hmm. to like give some perspective, right? And so that was that was one of the early times when kid food and adult food was really separated. And right. so now, oh my goodness, Emily, right? You walk down the frozen foods aisle. And there's just column after column of food that is specifically marketed for kids that no adult, most adults would really bother with, right? That was unheard of in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s, right? Right. So that's a huge factor. And then I think parenting style is the other factor where, you know, the 80s and 90s were sort of the front edge of more of the helicopter parenting. And I feel like lots of our parents... Um, had this impression that they needed to make our childhoods easy for us, you know, and it was coming from love, but unfortunately misguided because they didn't think about how, how hard that would make our adulthoods. <laughs> right? right. But we didn't learn anything about household management and kitchen and cooking and all that. And so I, I do think that, that, you know, our, our moms loved us and thought if I can make life easier for them and not ha- they don't have to do chores because food was easier to make, right? You didn't have to share the load. So I, I think those two things are are my big dogs. What were you thinking? It's so interesting because my mom is actually like a gourmet chef. I mean, she's not actually a gourmet chef, but she could be. She loves big, huge, fancy meals and that kind of thing. And our personalities are really different. I'm kind of like, I want this to be done simply. And my goals as a mom now are how quickly and conveniently can I put a really healthy meal that didn't come out of a box on our kitchen table? Mm -hmm. That is kind of my mindset and it sort of always has been. And so I think that we kind of grew up also in that casserole generation, which I think is a little bit, it it connects with what you're saying because that was faster and easier and cheaper, right? You just dump it all in there and bake it. And I was never into casseroles either. (laughs) And so I kind of just like, you know, I learned the basics. I definitely did. My mom did have that, you know, but I remember what you were just talking about, the whole kid food thing. Like I remember on the weekends, like thinking it was so cool that I could open a can of Campbell's soup and like heat that up by myself and being like, oh, winning, you know? And, um, but, and then, you know, the Lunchables came out and the Gushers, do you remember those? Like Gushers, everybody had to have Gushers. So I think, yeah, I, I, I hear everything that you are saying. And then I think also because we grew up in that generation, those moms who were still kind of like, I'm going to slave in the kitchen every day to put this meal on the table every night, that became less appealing to those of us that are our parents now, because we did grow up in a faster pace type of thing. And now we're living in this, you know, light speed generation. And so it's what we were taught maybe isn't practical for this time we're living in. So yeah, when you talk about your mom being so, um, we talk about your mom being, you know, just making all the things and spending all the time that reminded me. And then like the soup, you know, the cream of what, whatever soup in the casseroles. So here's a fun fact. Oh no. Like the fifties. (laughs) I think it's like the fifties when boxed cake mixes were invented and they did not go well. They were a total market failure first because they were just add water. And at the time, like what you made in the kitchen was a great sense of pride. Right. Does that make remember, you know, like old old fashioned, like that was what you did is you cooked for people. And so it was too easy. So box cake mixes were changed so that you had to add the egg. (laughs) 
and the water, or maybe the egg, the butter and the water. They're yeah. almost as easy, right? But that gave people a sense that they were still cooking somewhat from scratch. And it was enough to make the box cake like idea or product take off. Isn't that funny? And so I just think of like, if you think of it as sort of that slippery slope where everything used to be made from scratch because you had to, and then, you know, we get tricked by marketing into thinking, oh, I'm still kind of making from scratch. That's totally what cream of soup cans do is you're mm-hmm. still having to cook because you still have to combine ingredients, but you're using processed food in your homemade, quote, homemade cooking. Right. And so I just, and then, and then now our generation, right, is another shift is like many of us don't care at all about the idea of cooking from scratch, right? Those of us who don't have the healthy ideals. And so we're like full on into let other people, let food processing companies make our food, right? Right. So you can just kind of see that shift like the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. And then now we get more and more away from the in- right. actual ingredients. I just think I love that fact. I think it's so fascinating. So interesting. Yeah. So as your kids have grown older, you've kind of shifted to bring them more into the process, which I love. And I do, um, I, I love to, I, well, I, I, I'm just going to be honest because we're honest here. I have a love hate relationship with including my children in the kitchen because with four little boys, I, I think it's really important for them to under to un- know how to do at least like, you know, there's 20 things you need to know how to do in the kitchen before you're 18, regardless of if you're a girl or a boy, this is just life. This is survival, right? And so, um, but they either they all want to participate or no one wants to participate. And so it can be a little overwhelming. So, you know, I've broken up the responsibilities a little bit differently now and you know they understand what the ingredients are and that kind of thing but I would love for you to share with us kind of how you've shifted into that and one of my favorite things is how you've moved into this whole idea of the connection with cooking and food preparation and actually some of the things you've already shared and critical thinking for kids which as we all know is becoming a lost art in our society. Yeah, I did a whole TEDx talk on critical thinking specifically in children because I do think I do think it need we need a revival. We need to teach people how to think with their logical brains. And um, I do feel that the kitchen is an arena for that, right? So you kind of let's see, you asked a multi-part question. Sorry, like, I asked you like six I, I know. Questions. I was like, how did I get them in? <laughs> um so for context, my kids are currently eight, eleven, fourteen, and seventeen. I have three boys and number two is a girl, my freshman in high school. And so a lot of, a lot of boys going on here too. (laughs) And what's beautiful. So as far as how I got them in, it was, it was bit by bit, step by step. Sometimes it was, you know, full immersion. Personally, I break everything down into skills, not recipes. So I don't want to teach my kid to make, you know, recipe X for blueberry muffins. I'm going to teach them like the approximately seven different skills you need to make blueberry muffins. And then those skills extrapolate onto many other things. Right. So we just, I might just teach a five-year-old how to stir mm-hmm. one day after snack, right. We're just going to stir some dry oats really, really, really simple to prepare them for the process of making muffins. Right. We might spend 15 minutes learning how to measure, measure dry teaspoon, you know, and then measuring liquid is a whole, whole totally different thing. So that's me as I like kind of piecemeal it together. And that's how our kids cook real food course is run as well as it's just really skill-based. And so again, if you're thinking I'm freaking out, there's no way I can teach my kids to cook. Like that's what I'm here for literally. Um, but here's the reward. 
it, like you said, it, it can be a little painful. It's an investment for sure. We have to get over our own brain. We have to get through the mess. We know the kids will slow us down, right? Like I hear these complaints from parents all the time. Everyone wants to help and it's chaos and it's crazy and I'm going nuts. Like you are not alone in that, believe me, Emily. Um, but when we can put that investment in, the other end looks like this, is that every Thursday I don't cook because my daughter makes dinner and she, it's supposed to be my oldest too, but my son is in a play right now. So he's just never home. <laughs> um, it looks like I was out at the store and was coming home to way too late to be starting the dinner I had planned. And I texted my 17 year old and said, can you do X, Y, and Z? And dinner was on time, right? Because he right. has those skills. I could not do that without the proper training. Uh, right. So that's, that's my older two, you know, my younger, my number three is 11 and he's because it, the younger ones are always a little bit slower because yeah. the older ones are already capable. Right. So he's a sous chef once a week. So once a week, I don't have to cut our cucumbers and our carrots and wash the cherry made tomatoes, you know, and um, one of his tasks is it's called keep the family in dressings. We make homemade dressings. So every oh. time the dressing bottle gets low, he needs to put that on his list over the next few days. Um, and that's just, it's just huge. You know, Emily, there's so many little tasks that take up your time in the kitchen. And when those tasks are spread out throughout the family, it is good for everyone. It's good for me. It's good for them. It's good for their future, but it's good for their present and our family's present as well. Yeah. So that's how we did it. Um, and then you asked about, well, I wanted to say one yeah. thing is what's interesting. I think too, when we connect, um, you know, critical thinking and responsibility go, they don't seem like they would be strongly connected, but I think that they are because I think when we have to carry responsibility, we are forced to think more critically. And all the things that you just described were ways that you're giving your kids responsibility, which requires them to take ownership, which encourages them to think more critically mm -hmm. as well. So I, you're probably going to talk about that, but that's what I was just thinking about. And like, I, and those are such um, important things that you mentioned the helicopter that turned into the lawnmower generation that we are in now. We have a whole podcast about that, um, that, you know, we don't give our kids responsibility and then they start looking for meaning and purpose and things that are destructive for them. And so it's amazing how right at home in the kitchen, we can start those responsibilities. So mm -hmm. you're inspiring me already. Okay. Keep, keep going. I'm sorry. I don't even remember what you were going to share next. So. No, no. I mean, that's <laughs> so perfect. Like, yes, you, you said yes, because they, when you have responsibility, you have to think more, you have to use your logical brain. And, and I do, I feel like critical thinking has its fingers in so many parts of the kitchen, right? Like just like fingers deep in the cookie dough. And that's one of them for sure. Um, when we talk about critical thinking, you need to use logic over emotion, right? You need to know how to be flexible, how to change your plans. You need to know how to um, be resilient when things go wrong. And also to be resilient to like almost always, if you're a critical thinker in our current society and probably every society throughout history, you have to go against the flow a little bit. You have to be a bit countercultural and that takes a, a certain amount of shielding. <laughs> that mm -hmm. takes a, an amount of resilience. And so- when I talk about critical thinking, my big three are curiosity, adaptability, or flexibility, and resilience. And so- I love those things. Yeah. All three so, of those. <laughs> so in the kitchen, I mean, let's start with having to be adaptable. If if something is going wrong, or you start your dinner too late, or you realize you don't have an ingredient, right? Like that's all 
those are all opportunities to practice being flexible. You try a new recipe and it doesn't turn out that great. You know, yeah. you have to figure out how to re react or respond to that. Hopefully, right, with logic over emotion. Um, we think about our executive functioning brain planning ahead. Making a schedule is so critical to developing that portion of our brain. We're the seat of logic. And, you know, that gosh, if we think about what we do as moms, I feel like there's no place that's busier than the kitchen as far as having to plan ahead. You know, right. you got a grocery shop. You gotta, do we have the ingredients on hand? What recipe am I making? Does meat need to be thawed? You know, yeah. does something need to be prepared hours in advance or a day before? There's so much planning, which means if you don't do it well, so many opportunities to learn from failure, Yeah, uh, but also to feel that success. And right. arguably what you just shared, I think is another part of where our generation is feel experiences so much overwhelm mm -hmm. because we weren't necessarily taught all those processes because what you just share were a whole bunch of processes, right? Yep. Or one big process to put this one meal on the, on the table. And I think like when we have a good system in place, it can be almost automatic, right? Like that's how I feel like now I'm like, okay, on this day, because we, we, we eat relatively repetitively in our house because it works for us and no one cares. Like we add variety. I'm not going to like, we don't eat the same exact thing for every meal and dinner, but I kind of have this sort of way I do things and we just kind of do it. But that's a process. And as you're mentioning, you're bringing those kids into those processes and then they adopt processes for their own lives so that they can plan ahead and know what's on their calendar and have a schedule and that their mom isn't trying to call and reschedule their job interview when they're 23. Like those kinds of things um, that were like, wait, how do we get here? But what you're mentioning are a lot of steps with how we get there to take that responsibility, ownership, planning and so forth. So yeah. And yeah. in my kitchen, there certainly are lots of opportunities for failure where we have to adapt and move on. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes your kids will do even better than you. I've, I've been hopeful, wishful thinking for years about meal planning in a more public way so that the kids and my husband know what's coming, but I'm really just like a scrap envelope meal planner where I just sort of write it down wherever um, and that's just my, one of my weaknesses, right? So my daughter, who's 14, she's a freshman said, I, I would like, we, we give them a new responsibility and a new privilege each year at their birthday. And she actually requested that she could start planning breakfast ahead. Cause she, she has the earliest start time. So she's up before the adults even. And she's like, I just like really want to know the night before, you know, what's for breakfast so that there's not confusion in the morning. So she started writing out breakfast, which turned into writing out dinners she writes what time dinner needs to be because we have crazy schedules with kids in different places. Each meal is different. You know, who's making that dinner, whether it's my husband or me or herself or, and Paul, my, my son. And, um, it's amazing. She's been so consistent with it. It's been about a month, I think. And she loves it. She likes knowing what's coming. Like that's again, her gift and her personality, but I noticed the whole family looking at it. Mm. We love it. And so what, I mean, again, what executive functioning skills and yeah. then sometimes we have to, you know, we have to move things around. Um, when it comes to though, healthy cooking, that's where I think critical thinking really has a beautiful arena to practice because what is critical thinking? You have to ask questions. You have to, you know, go into a situation, 
not always assuming that everything is as it seems, mm-hmm. right? And right. so when it comes to food marketing, commercials for food, the difference between the way my family eats and the rest of the world seems to be eating, we just have so many opportunities for conversation, right? About why we do things differently, how you know this food or that food helps fuel our bodies and how we think about food. And it's just um, my seven-year-old, right? Like technically he cannot critically think. His brain is not even, uh, you know, your executive functioning brain isn't fully developed till you're 25 or 30. Let's just start there. But it's at about age 10, 11, or 12 that you're even able to fully access logic and start developing that brain that finishes developing at 25. So he's seven. He's way too young, um, you know, to actually use his executive functioning brain. But can he hear us model it? heck yeah. Can we encourage him to ask questions? You know, I remember, gosh, when he was in kindergarten, he was telling me about a little boy who was consistently bothering him. He was like knocking over his water bottle, harmless, right? But just annoying. And he said, yeah, you know, this little boy really seems to be out of control in his body. Like he's so busy in his body and he's always hyper. And he said, you know, I think it's the donuts. I think it's the donuts. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Because he's like, he has a donut or a fruit strip every morning for snack. And then he, you know, has a brownie at lunch, whatever. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So the fact that a five-year-old can assess, right? Like that is so much critical thinking. He asked questions, he assessed the situation, you know, he put two and two together and whether or not that was accurate, it's fine. Right. But again, he's, he's kind of, he's not just drinking the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Right. My kids recently had a full on debate between my almost 10 year old and my new eight year old about whether Gatorade was actually a sports drink. It was fascinating. It was really well done. I was like, okay, guys, I think my eight year old was kind of playing devil's advocate on purpose. Like, oh, but it says this. Oh, but it has this in it. And then the older one was like, yeah, but you know, And um, we have a label reading rule that we use for any processed foods. It doesn't necessarily help with every last ingredient, but it does help with, is this going to um, spike our blood sugar or is this going to help us to keep our blood sugar balanced so that we can focus and, you know, work hard at school and that kind of thing. And they're always doing it. It's It's great. I mean, it's a really good tool that they can use so that I'm not constantly saying that has too much sugar in it. You know, it's like, well, here's the, here's the rule you, you do it, you know, and here's, here's what we look at. So, um, and sometimes, you know, pushing that off onto them to be helpful. I'm very curious. I love what you shared. I'm always looking to learn from other parents. Tell me about this birthday thing and giving a privilege and a responsibility every year, because I really, love that. And I would love to hear some like examples if you're willing to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So examples of some of the responsibilities have included things like, uh, it's your turn to take over washing the table after every meal. Um, Let's see, being being the sous chef was one of the responsibilities taking out the trash, my oldest has taken out the trash for a number of years. Oh, goodness. Let's see some of the privileges and sometimes the kids think of these, sometimes we think of these. So a privilege might be um, the ability to cross the road by yourself, obviously with training and you have to like pass a test and we'll say, okay, pretend I'm not here. What would you do? You know, and we have to get to a point where we trust that child, but that's, that's definitely been on there. Um, The ability to be out in the neighborhood and we don't exactly know which house you're at, as long as you're home at five 30, 
is another example of a privilege. I know um, when my oldest was in middle school, he wanted to have an Instagram account. So that was one, or like getting a cell phone. It gets, it actually gets a little harder when they're older because their their privileges and responsibilities are just sort of like blooming and coming in all the time anyway. But right. when they're young, when they're young, it's always been a really good touch point. Like, oh yeah, we need to make sure that we are continuing to allow the child to grow right. and to acknowledge that they are getting older. Therefore they can do more and also they should be trusted. Right. So yeah, that's just a little, a little smattering, but we, we have to talk envelope. about the, the relic, the how those two go together all the time in our house too. Like with privilege comes responsibility. So if you're not responsible, then you can't have privileges. Mm -hmm. If you have privileges, they come with responsibility. You know, this all goes together. And um, if you aren't responsible, then you lose privileges. You know, there's all of these types of things. And I'm, that, I was curious about that. That's really, that's, I like that idea. That's a great little, little um, touch point for sure. So tell us about, um, some of the resources that you have available, because I think it parents, well, women in particular, even for themselves in adopting a healthier lifestyle, whatever that might look like, and then providing that for their families. Because what I find happens often um, in my work with women is they're, they're like, okay, I'm going to buckle up and make these changes for myself without bringing everyone else into the equation. And certainly we can't force our spouses to do things they're not going to do their adults, right? And we can't necessarily go from free for all to a sugar-free household and, you know, by tomorrow, like that's not actually probably the best way to do it. So how do you kind of bring all of that together? But what one last thought with that is, what I find that that does for women, they think it's setting them up for success because it's only about them, but it actually further sets them up for failure because there's like, oh, kid food, my food, this food, that food. Oh, I'm tempted by my kid's food. Oh, mm -hmm. I still finish their plates. There's all these things versus going along on the journey together. So I would love to hear about how in your programs and in your experience and working with families that you've seen that work better when we're all in it together. Oh, I love that question. And you're so right. If you're just trying to change one person, it becomes complicated and complication adds stress, right? And then that's going to, you know, push you more towards failure than success. We definitely find that when kids are involved in the creation of their own food, they're much more likely to accept, enjoy those new foods, right? And so that is, it's like a huge superpower that we can give to parents and families at Kids Cook Real Food, where we can say, listen, like, first of all, you don't have to teach your kids. Like, I will be the bad guy. I even tell parents, tell, tell your kids, Mrs. Kimball says, <laughs> hold the knife right, you know? So like, yeah. I'm the scapegoat. I'm happy to do that for thousands of families around the world. Very, very cool. They don't know me, right? <laughs> most, of, most of the kids like me anyway, even though it's Mrs. Kimball says. So if we can, if we can get the kids involved in the food, even if that's as simple as washing the lettuce right? Or stirring the homemade ranch dressing, serving it any, any time that the kids have even a little shred of ownership, more is better, but some is enough. Mm -hmm. You know, they're more, again, they're more likely to, to feel that ownership, to feel like they want to see the process through and close the loop and give it a taste. So that's really yes. important. And not only will they taste it, they're going to eat it. Even if they told you yesterday, they don't like it. That happens every time. <laughs> oh. That's been my experience anyway. Like, oh, I helped make this. I mean, very rarely are they like, oh, this is gross. Because yeah. they don't want to, I mean, that's our, 
nature, right? We want to be proud of the things that we created. And so, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Would you share with us too? Um, you mentioned earlier, some of those like skills that you're like, I want to create a culmination of skills. And you shared a few of them like cutting and stirring, mm -hmm. but can you share with us a couple more of those just to kind of get parents wheels turning? And then we'll talk about how we can get people connected with you. Yeah, definitely. I'm huge on knife skills. I feel like knife skills unlock the produce section. You can't eat it if you can't cut it up. So we start with, with our littlest ones, our two-year-olds with a butter knife and a banana, right? It really is that simple. And if you start brainstorming, there are a lot of soft foods, even, you know, imagine a cooked carrot, right? Or a cooked potato that leave in the tiniest of our kids can start to cut up. And boy, when you talk about ownership, the younger they are, the more ownership they feel with less involvement right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even if yeah. their hand is over yours and you're cutting, but their hand is on yours, sometimes that's enough to make them feel, you know, engaged and involved. Um, we definitely measuring is for sure. Number two. And again, two, three, four years old can learn how to measure a flat teaspoon of salt. They're not mm -hmm. going to be good at it right away, but they can do it well enough that you can say, Hey, I'm making, you know, casserole, right. I'm making a homemade casserole and I need a teaspoon of basil, a teaspoon of salt and a quarter teaspoon of pepper. That child could measure those. Right. And then that translates into at the table. Oh, this tastes so good. Who was responsible for all the flavor in this? Yeah. Right. So that's how I talk to the, the littlest ones. Cause then they're just blooming with pride. Right. Um, our medium, and, our medium size kit. Oh, good. And also I think as moms, we got to get rid of some of our control freakness and realize that if they a little bit over measure the basil, it's not that big of a deal. Like we, we just can't care that much. They at mom sanity. We always say with all of our baked good recipes we make, like these are approximations, like this recipe will not be awful. If you have a little more, or a little less, because I don't eat I, this might make you cringe, but I don't even, I'm not a perfect measure. I'm just like, okay, well, <laughs> that's, that's about good enough, like whatever. And some of it is just my nature of like not being a details person, but anyway, <laughs> but it's like, it's fine. It's still fine. You know? So, yeah. And that's mm -hmm. one of the like philosophical pieces that we teach kids is especially when you are cooking measuring can absolutely be approximate. We teach the oldest kids to what we call measure like a TV chef, how to eye up a teaspoon in your palm. So you can feel yeah. really cool, right? Shake a, shake a, shake a splat. Um, so and that's, that's awesome so much faster, orders. right? That's yeah. like so much faster. That's where I, my downfall is it just has to be fast. Like, I don't like, okay, good enough. Good enough. Keep yes. going, you know? <laughs> so we do teach them that in baking measurement should be more official though because when you're talking right. like baking soda baking powder you really can mess up a recipe yeah. if you're off those are on honestly that. the only two well pretty much I'm trying to think maybe vanilla well, that might be bad yeah. um that I'm really like you know we do we definitely are going to get the spoons out for this <laughs> that's <laughs> so, funny that's anyway. so funny yeah no so it. for our I'll just real quick I'll talk about older kids skills for our kind yeah. of medium-sized kids as soon as they can read uh, we want to teach the skill of reading a recipe we want to get them to the stove. So there's lots of stovetop skills just from simple, like turning it on, boiling water, right? For pasta, hard boiled eggs, rice. And then the skill of flipping comes in a lot. If you think pancakes, hamburger patties, um, you know, salmon burgers, anything that you're flipping, that's a skill in and of itself. And then for our oldest kids, we're going to get the chef's knife into their hand. We're going to start talking about, again, where the executive functioning, the critical thinking comes in is how do you balance two recipes 
at the same time and get it all done? How do you choose efficient actions um, in the kitchen? And and we do, you know, again, simple things like browning ground meat, cooking dry beans, cooking rice, some of those just really basic techniques that everyone should know. Right. And then they can survive without DoorDash, right? Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, Katie, tell us a little more in closing about where everyone can find you and um, take advantage of some of these programs and other ideas that you have. Yeah, thank you. Well, we're at kidscookrealfood.com and at kidscookrealfood on Instagram. That's kind of the real life. And um, I love to give away our nice skills class, to be honest. So I will make sure that for your show notes that you have a link to our 10 minute knife skills and safety class for the kids ages two to 10, because it's just so fun to see, you know, what families can do with just 10 minutes of training. You really can unlock that produce section. I'm excited about that because that, you know, like most parents, that makes me the most nervous. We do a lot of butter knives and our almost 10 year old, we do, I do let him cut certain things that are pretty stable and, Mm -hmm. I mean, I have four boys. They love knives. They want a knife to cut up their orange, not because they need it because they like, that's just what they do. But that would, that's so useful. Thank you so much for offering that. So, well, thank you for sharing your expertise with us, with us today. It's so important in how all of this fits together as we aim to launch our kids into the world and help them to be able to be fully functioning adults that can think critically because they have the skills to be able to do so. And all of these life skills kind of go into that. So thanks again for all the work you're doing. And I look forward to catching up with you next time. You too, Emily. 